The word of God will now come to us from some verses in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 13 through 21, and that is found on page 871 in your pew Bible. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to its reading. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask now that you would give us understanding. We really need to know what you are saying to us in order to serve you well. And so help us to use what you have given in the best ways to bring glory to your name, not ours. We, your children, are here. Make us ready to listen to your voice and to live cheerfully under your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. R.G. Letourneau was a 20th century Christian inventor and entrepreneur. If you have driven a bulldozer or benefited from the use of one, you have Letourneau to thank. He invented the bulldozer, along with hundreds of other machines made to move earth and to do other things related to construction. He died in 1969 at the age of 80. If you have heard of him, you probably know three things about him. He founded a school that bears his name, Laternal University, in Longview, Texas. He made a lot of money, even through the years of the Great Depression in the 1930s, and he was generous, contributing large sums to the church and to other Christian agencies and causes. He was committed to tithing and always set aside 10% of his income. You can look him up and learn about his love for Christ and his generous approach to all of the things that God 
had given to him. He was rich. He was rich in good works, 1 Timothy 6.18, and he was rich toward God, words from our text, Luke 12.21. When you think about really wealthy people, you might be tempted to wonder, how difficult can it be to tithe when you earn millions? I wouldn't know personally, although a million Uganda shillings is worth about $300. So when I lived there, I was a millionaire for a few years. I had to move to Africa to become one. But how hard could generosity be for someone who earns so much? Jesus told a parable that warns us not to assume that it is easy. Wealth can capture the heart and make a wealthy person misdirect his trust. God wants your heart. Be very careful not to give your heart to possessions. Everyone needs to think about this. If you have a lot or only a little, you need to think about this. Danger lurks regardless of the size of your paycheck or whether you even have one. You may rest in the ease that your wealth provides or become restless in your worry that you just don't have enough. Consider the text this morning under two practical questions. Let me give those to you. The first one is this. How shall we think about our possessions? And then the second question What shall we do with our possessions? And then two imperatives under each uh, question. So let's go. Question one. How shall we think about our possessions? We find Jesus' answer in two verses from Luke 12. Guard your heart. That's there in verse 15. And then evaluate your treasure. Verse 21. Guard your heart. As was often the case, Jesus was interacting with a crowd of people. Someone in that crowd had what he believed to be a very serious problem. He felt cheated. His father had died, and his brother was not sharing what the father had left them. And so he wanted Jesus' help. The particulars are not available to us, just the demands of the one brother who felt left out. He wanted Jesus to settle the matter. Actually, he wanted Jesus on his side. This was not an objective request. He didn't say, Rabbi, you come, look at the documents, see what they say, maybe my brother has it right, maybe not, make a judgment for us. We need help to get this settled, and we know that you can provide the help we need. That is not what he said. This man wanted an advocate. He wanted Jesus to set his brother straight. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus wouldn't do it. The father gave him work to do, but this was not his work. He was a wise teacher, of course, and would have perfectly settled the matter if he chose to do so, but he didn't. His sights 
were on the purpose the Father had given to him. His work was to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10. He came to bring people to God, not property to people. He didn't comply with the man's demand, but he did actually have something to say in verse 15, and here are his words. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What a statement that is. By the way, did you notice that it was not given to the brother with the problem? He said to them, to the crowd, to everyone there, to you and to me, take care. Do not covet because life is more than collecting a lot of stuff, I paraphrase. You know that covetousness is a serious sin. A whole commandment is dedicated to it. Do not covet what your neighbor has. Do not feel cheated. Do not refuse to be happy unless you have what you see other people enjoy. And do not undervalue or despise the gifts God has already given to you and surely will give you in the age to come. Covetousness. That's not life. It's idolatry, actually. That's what the Holy Spirit says, Colossians 3, 5. Life is not stuff and not longing for more stuff. Don't, don't think of life that way. That's the message. Do you want to know what life really is? Listen to Jesus' prayer. This is John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God and the gospel of his Son, that is life. Do not let your heart be captured by your perceived need for more things. Be content with all that God has given and give thanks to him. And if you don't get what you want... Well, how shall I put it? Get over it. (laughs) As a believer, you already have the best. And what is coming is even better. If you know Jesus, then you know this. I doubt that any of you deny it. But you have to admit that your heart drifts. Mine does. It is so easy at any moment in life to care more about material possessions than the great God, a great gift that God has given to us. A gift, by the way, he will never take back. Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior and Lord, and all the blessings that come to those who believe in him. But since we live in a world that is filled with things, that compete for our hearts, we all have to be on guard, be watchful, be prayerful, meditate on all the promises of your Savior Jesus, make use of all the means of grace given to you so that you will grow in faith and become all the more a single-hearted servant 
of Christ. This account is not really about wills. It's about hearts. Take care. Guard your heart. And evaluate your treasure. That's the second thing. After delivering a pretty well-known parable, Jesus tells us all to think about what we treasure and to live lives that are rich toward God. Redirect your heart away from possessions and toward the God of heaven, the one who gave you everything you have. The parable is about a wealthy man who owned a successful farm. You've got to stop right there and acknowledge that there's nothing wrong or sinful about wealth or productive farming. All very useful for the kingdom, and we should never despise them. The world needs resources. The world needs good farmers, absolutely. But there are spiritual dangers because of our human condition and indwelling sin. No sin in the possessions themselves, the sin is here. I think we can all see that. But the landowner in the parable did not use his wealth for good purposes. He used it only for himself. He had a problem, you see. His farm produced too much. What am I going to do? That's what he wondered, verse 17. And here's the answer that came to him. Verse 18, let's hear it again. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. What's wrong with building bigger barns? Nothing, really. The problem was how the man thought about his barns and the grain they would hold and what these things could make possible for him. His soul was satisfied. You might say completely satisfied in the prospect of rest, food, and drink. That's it. Nothing else needed. That is what he was building for himself. To put it differently, that was his kingdom. But that is not the kingdom of God, which the Bible says is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 14, 7, where the context is a little different, but the lesson corresponds. Do not live for yourself. Live for God. Be rich toward God. Evaluate your treasure. Think deeply about what is most important to you, where you are placing your trust, what you are building in the life that God has given you, and how you can live in ways that make it clear to others and even to your own soul that you treasure the best things. Jesus, his word, his church, his praise, his gospel, his spiritual harvest, the increase of his kingdom and his glory. Treasure these things first and most and consider your possessions in light of those best things. 
For wherever your treasure, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus said that too. Luke 12, 34. They, they go together. Your treasure and your heart are companions. They travel together. Do you want your heart to be stored in a silo? I don't think you do. So let's take up that second question. What shall we do with our possessions, the things that God has given to us? Give up earning? Give everything away? No, it's good to earn and save and manage all that God has given to us. There are other texts we can go to show how God can be honored in such things. But it is so easy to shape good things into means of serving only ourselves. It's easy, but it's not necessary. And we're not to do it. So here are two thoughts, two ways to interact with your possessions. The first thing is resist their seduction. First, admit that seduction is there. And by seduction, I simply mean the the personal temptation to love things more than God and to make the abundance of possessions the aim of your life and your work. Life does not consist in it, remember. And if you don't think this is a thing, listen again to these words. You've heard them once. I want to read them again to you. 1 Timothy 6. I'll begin at verse 10, or 6 this time. Read through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, that, that is powerful. Godliness, which is a righteous response to God's word, and contentment, which is a righteous response to God's providence, you, you put these things together and you have a lot. It's great gain. It covers almost all of life. I need to start again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Pretty serious words, I think you would agree. The devil wants you to love money. He wants you to wander from your faith. I know people who have fallen in this way, and I would not be surprised to learn that you know some people as well. So when you feel that tug to think more of wealth than you should, Or to dream of having more so that you can feel completely satisfied. Or or to consider giving up on Christ because it just doesn't seem to pay what you think you are worth. And you'd really be better off without him. Any of these thoughts, if they come to mind, know that this is the devil speaking. 
and resist him. And if you resist him, he will flee from you. That's James 4.7. Consider what Augustine prayed in his confessions. Maybe you know that guy, St. Augustine. He loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee that he loves not for thy sake. Love things, yes, but love them for God. Enjoy the gifts, but rely on and worship the giver. I think you have heard such things before. And don't settle for millions of dollars. Don't settle for millions, big barns, ample wealth that will provide for you without care beyond your 100th birthday. Don't settle for such small things. You earn, you gain, you die, and then what? We have the terrifying words that Jesus gives. Verse 20. Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Can you imagine hearing those words? Or words like them? Fool. He is no fool, Jim Elliot famously said, who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is the way of the wise. Jesus provides all the riches you need, and brothers and sisters, more riches are coming. Don't you love being a Christian? I see a lot of heads nodding. That's good. Really, it's really great being a child of God, isn't it? Jesus gives us everything. The forgiveness of our sins, peace with our Father, purpose for our lives, a community of love, Church of the Covenant, every bit of daily bread required for life, and even when bad things happen, sometimes really bad things, Jesus is with us, praying for us, keeping his promises, and using pain to make us holy. In Jesus, we have strength to persevere in trial and ongoing joy in the Holy Spirit. We have the hope of heaven and everlasting fellowship with the one who gave himself for our sins and rose with power from the grave. When you sing the song, Be Thou My Vision, as you will after the message, I hope you sing it thoughtfully with deep praise in your heart. Stanza three, get ready. Don't just sing the words. Listen and pray as you sing. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven. My treasure thou art. You call God your treasure when you sing that. Is he your treasure? Things, they're cool, but they are dangerous if misused. But if used well, they are precious to Christ because you who have them are precious to Christ. Use them for him. 
That's the second thing to consider. Use your possessions for God. Jesus said it this way, be rich toward God. Hey, God wants you to be rich. Did you know that? I, I thought about naming the sermon that way. You know, God wants you to be rich. But then I thought someone might, you know, get the bulletin, not hear the message, and thinks who knows what. So I, so I chose a different, different title. But it's true, isn't it? God wants you to be rich toward him with reference to him. He wants you to accept his gifts and invest his gifts in view of his love for you, his presence with you, his pleasure in you, and all the promises that he has made to you, which are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Be rich toward God. R.G. Letourneau. I mentioned that he was committed to tithing. He considered his income and uh, separated out 10%, $1 in 10. And then he lived on that and gave 90% away. That was his way. He, here's how he put it. I don't give 10% of my money to the Lord. I take 10% of the Lord's money for my use. Letourneau made things that moved dirt, but his inventions and the wealth they produced did not move him. He knew well and sought to practice the charge in 1 Timothy 6. Here we go to verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, which is God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Three of us took a trip to Greece a few years back to see what the Greek evangelical church was doing to serve the refugees in the north part of the country. And uh, we met a guy who was not at all like the man in Jesus' parable. He was a farmer. Um, he was a church elder. And along with the whole congregation, he involved himself in serving uh, migrants who had traveled from Turkey and landed in a, in a camp in, in Greece. He loved that work. And he wished he could invest more in it. He said something to me that I will never forget. He was a farmer, as I mentioned. He grew kiwis and cherries, that sort of thing, I think. He was not wealthy, but he wanted his business to grow so that he could hire more workers, not so that he could make more money and build bigger barns or whatever the equivalent would be when you grow fruit. Uh, his heart was set, set elsewhere. Here's what he said. I am 44 years old. If I live to 70, that gives me 26 years. I am planning now how I can do the most good for these refugees in the years I have left. That's what he said. He wanted to be free from the day-to-day -day activity of farming. Not to earn money for himself, but to use his gain 
to serve people in need more and more for the glory of his Savior, Jesus Christ. Of course, the great example is Jesus himself. I close with these words. Let's remember him with these words. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, this text encouraging generosity among the people of God. We have these words embedded in that text. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We are rich. Let's all live rich toward God. Let us pray. Father, we do confess to you that we are worldly-minded. We have abused your gifts. We have failed to give you the honor that you deserve above all other things. And so we pray that you would forgive us and that you would empower us to seek your kingdom and to love your name above any other name. Receive our prayers as we offer them through Christ our Lord. Amen.